This morning we're going to continue working our way through Ephesians 1 through 13. Uh, Last week we worked our way through verses 1 through 6. This morning we will start at verse 7. But for the sake of context, I'm going to read the entire section. Ephesians chapter 3 starting at verse 1 if you want to follow along with me. Ephesians chapter 3 starting at verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the, gospel, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Father, we thank you for your grace and faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, that you have uh, compelled and inspired and led and divinely manifest your will through the pen of Paul. We thank you for the reminders of uh, truth from your word. We thank you for the declaration and the authority of truth that we rest on in your word. We thank you, Lord, that Uh, It is not a book alone, but it is you, the God who rules all things, who has created all things that we worship. I pray, Father, you would give grace this morning as we seek to submit ourselves to the truth of your word, you would work in us. I pray, Father, you would help us to serve you in a way that glorifies you. We thank you for your faithfulness to do this for your saints throughout history We thank you for the mystery of the gospel that you do this now for us, your saints, who were once not your people, but are now your people by the grace of God. Amen. Ephesians 3, 1 through 13, if you remember, is Paul uh, preparing to again pray for the Ephesians and stopping to preface for their encouragement. You see at verse 1, he says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And it should start what he finishes in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father. But Paul stops to preface. He stops to encourage the saints with the truth. And last week, we looked at his first encouragements of his ministry. uh, That he was faithful in ministry and that Christ used him 
that he had a stewardship before God, and that he had great insight because of the Spirit to make known the mystery of the gospel. We looked at the mystery of the gospel which he proclaimed, that we are fellow heirs and members of the body, partakers of Christ's promises. And you see in verse 7, this week he says, of this gospel I was made a minister. Paul is going to explain for us his ministry, what the purpose of his ministry is. And the truth here is about Paul's ministry, not your particular ministry, right? We often go to this and we think, how does this apply to me? That's our first question in Bible reading, and it shouldn't be. Our first question should be, what does this mean? What is true here? Then our question should be, how does it apply to me? Because the truth is, this letter of Ephesians was not written to you. It was written for you. It is the divine word of God. But it was written to the Ephesians. And when it speaks of my ministry, it doesn't speak of your ministry and not my ministry. It speaks of Paul's ministry. And so this morning, we are going to see Paul's perspective on ministry. What Paul views his ministry as. And we can take great confidence in that as Paul views his ministry, he is viewing it rightly. Because this is the divine word of God. This is not Paul's opinion. This is the divine opinion of Paul's ministry. And in knowing that, we can apply it to our own ministries. If you've been with us for any amount of time, as I say that, uh, you know that we are a young church. We are a maturing church. I am thankful that we are a church that loves the gospel, that is pursuing Christ. And like all churches, we are seeking to grow to be more like Christ. We're all engaged in ministry, as we'll talk about this morning, in service to Christ. But maturing is difficult, is it, is it not? You remember junior high? The most difficult and awkward stage of your life. Why? Because it is like drastic maturing. If you fight it, it is more awkward, right? Those junior hires that try to stay little kids, you're like, this is awkward. And those junior hires that try to pretend they're adults and they're not maturing, you're like, you're strange. It's a weird state of life. And in the Christian life, maturing is very different in that we're not like awkward junior hires, but we are creatures that must grow. And that comes with pain and confusion at times. We would like to think that only junior hires are the ones that deal with youthful angst. We all deal with angst and difficulty. And what is God calling us to? How do we mature in this? And the pains of maturing are often comforted by the great truth that is beyond you. Right? It's hard for your junior hires to see when you talk to them and you say, look, you are becoming a man and a woman, or a woman. You're, you can't become a man and a woman. We need to clarify such things in our society. You are becoming a man or a woman. And you need to figure out what it means to be a man or a woman. And how do you encourage a junior hire? You don't say, remember back when you were a man? Remember back when you were a woman? Just feed off that. No, and so often as Christians, we say, how do you mature? Remember back when you first got saved? Is that how you mature? No, you mature by looking forward. You are becoming this. This is what God does. You want to mature in Christ, be reminded of the truth of what Christ's people become. And Paul is proclaiming that by his own ministry. So as we look at this, we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at the preparation for ministry for us, the encouragement to us from Paul's actual ministry. 
what God has actually called him to, what he is doing. And we started looking at that this week, or last week rather. This week we're going to look at it more. I want to remind you, as Paul is preparing to pray for them, you could look in your Bible and he prays in verse 16 that they would be strengthened in the Spirit. He prays in verse 17 that they would dwell in Christ as their source, that they would be rooted and grounded in love. And he prays that they would understand the height, the depth, the deep and abiding love of Christ that can provide more than just knowledge, but his last prayer is that they would have fullness in Christ. What is he praying for? He's praying for them to mature. And what does Paul think they need to know before he prays for their maturity? This small preface about Paul's ministry. So as we look at it this morning and you long to mature, be encouraged by the maturity of Paul, be encouraged by what Christ did in Paul's ministry, and be reminded that that is not exactly like Paul as we will work through, but his plan for you is that you would be faithful in ministry also. So we want to be both encouraged by what Christ did in the life of Paul and be encouraged because that's in many ways what he is doing in our life. So look with me at verse 7 of chapter 3. Starting at verse 7 of chapter 3 in Ephesians. It says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. We're going to look at three things. In verse 7, we're going to look at Paul's position in ministry. Paul's position in ministry. In verse, the beginning of verse 8, we're going to look at Paul's perspective of his ministry. And then in verses 8 and 9, we're going to look at Paul's pleasure in ministry. And if I wasn't such a long-winded preacher, we would look at verse 10, Paul's power or purpose in ministry. But that'll have to wait till next week. Because we know I'm not going to make it there. So, let's look first at verse 7. Paul's position in ministry. He says, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Paul was made a minister. This is his position of ministry. And I want you to notice that verb there. It says, he was made a minister. What does that mean? This isn't fake it till you make it. This isn't make something of yourself. This isn't pull yourself by your your own bootstraps. This isn't envision your life as something and you will become it. What does it say? It says Paul was made a minister. This is something done outside of him. He was made something. It doesn't say Paul was given an opportunity. This is not an opportunity for advancement in ministry. This is not a test to see if God, uh, rather this is not a test from God to see what Paul could do. This is not a puzzle from God for Paul to figure out. As Paul has already said in the previous verses, this is a stewardship, an assignment of responsibility by God for Paul. Just sitting in Starbucks yesterday, I listened into conversations because that's what you do in Starbucks. If you are going to Starbucks for private conversations, you are a fool, my friend. Because there's some dude making a PowerPoint next to you listening to everything you say. And as I listened to everything they said, I was at first encouraged by these women who immediately engaged this man because he had a book. 
They said, oh, I can see you like reading. They were like Paul in the Areopagus. I see you're a very spiritual people. I happen to know about spirituality. These ladies were, were keen. I see you have a book you like to read. Why, yes, I do. And he starts explaining to them this book. And I see them patiently waiting. It was like observing a, a bad sales pitch. They're waiting. We know of such a book. And they started to talk to him about the Bible. And they're discussing that with him. And the man started giving all kinds of opinions about life and how there is a Satan and there is this testing and there's seven realms of life and we're in some kind of realm. And he's like trying to evangelize them with his rambling to something. And they're trying to evangelize him by their arguments and pamphlets. And they're working back and forth at each other of what everything is about. They're trying to convince one another that they've come to the right position. They're trying to figure out this puzzle of life. And they're proclaiming to one another that in many ways life is a puzzle. It's a a big test. God just wants to figure out what you're going to do. There's various versions of this test and this puzzle. And Paul does not proclaim a puzzle. Paul does not proclaim a test. He proclaims a plan. He proclaims this is what God is accomplishing. See, the the man's version of ministry and life is very man-centered. It's all about us. It's all about what we're here for to do. And that is a good question. And the immediate answer to that question is we are here for the glory of God. And he is accomplishing something. The Bible does not proclaim that you live for a test, that you want to make opportunial advance so you can arrive at some position. It does not claim that God is unsure of who you are and what you will do and wants to find out. Like Paul, he made you. He knows you. And if you are in ministry like Paul, he has called you. And you are his. And he has assigned you. And you have a work to do as a minister of his. It is not about him testing you or him figuring anything out. I I would beg you, please, don't just believe this by my rambling. Read Ephesians chapter 1. Go back and read it again. It is very clear. Man's faith, man's life here, man's path for eternity is not about figuring out man. It is about proclaiming the glory of God despite the sin of man. And for that purpose, Paul was made a minister. It says he was made something. He has a stewardship assigned by God. It says he was made a minister. And I I have often said, and I still believe, the Greek, the Greek text, what what is behind our English text, this is a, not a translation, yes, a translation. Not an interpretation. This is not a new book. This is a translation of the Greek language. That was really hard to get out for some reason. So behind this is Greek words, and we have really good translations. It's not necessary for you to know Greek to understand and believe the Bible. But like all translating, there are times where the English word doesn't quite make it. And particularly in our modern time, the English word minister doesn't quite make it. For us to translate this as minister, maybe you have a Bible that translated it as servant. That's a better translation. Because when you think of minister, what do you think of? Huh? A leader, yeah, a priest. You think of a uh, diplomat, of someone who works for something. If you Google 
like I did, the word minister, you will come up with various definitions through various sources, and all of them will talk about a person in a position of leadership. If they are a minister, they are serving someone else for their good. It's to give services to someone. It's to be in an office of the church or a clergy member. I often tease Lauren when I don't want to do things she asks me to do, and I say, I can't do that. I'm a man of the cloth. That's not the kind of minister we're talking about. When he says minister, that word is servant. So when Paul says he is a servant of God, he's not saying, I have been given a position of authority. He's saying, I have been made a servant. He's not saying, I hold a particular church office. He has already said that. He's an apostle. He is a messenger, a divine messenger from God. He's already claimed that. That's true. But here, he's not talking about his position. He's talking about his work. He is a minister. He is a servant of God. His view of apostleship is not one that is overwhelmed by his own authority on earth. It is Christ's authority, and he represents Christ's authority on earth as a servant to do his will. By the very nature of servant, and the reason we hate the word so much, maybe the reason we created words like minister, is what does it mean to be a servant? It means to surrender your will to accomplish the will of another. If you are a servant, you live for the will of another, right? The, the side of that is you serve others, but that's not the definition. A servant does the will of another. And so Paul is saying, I was made a servant by God. I was made to be one who does God's will, right? And even, maybe like me, because you're an American, you hear, I was made a servant. You think, on right, unjust. This is not equality. People should not be made servants. They have rights, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. You won't find any of that if you refuse to be a servant of Christ. A few hundred years ago, somebody proclaimed your rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And millennia ago, when he created all things, years ago when he created you, you were born as his servant. You were born to serve him. You might live in rebellion from that, but you were born to serve him. And when Paul states that, he does not see it as a stripping of his rights. Do you, do you know what Paul sees it as? He sees it as a gift of grace. Read it. What does he say? He says, Of this gospel I was made a servant according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Paul doesn't hear, rather he doesn't say, I was made a servant and then go, and being a servant's hard and it's not fun and you don't get to do your own will, you have to do the will of another. Paul says, I was made a servant, and this was a gift of God's grace to me. This was something given to me, a blessing of favor that I didn't deserve in a good way. It doesn't mean I didn't deserve this. I shouldn't have to be a servant. It means I didn't deserve to be blessed with such a blessing, to be a servant of God. He says it is a gift of grace. It is something that was given to him, not by his own doing. It was just given as a gift. It wasn't his earning. It wasn't what he did. It was a gift of grace. And grace means that it is favorable. It is a good gift. And Paul says to be made a servant of God is a good gift. 
That is a biblical truth that is attacked by all kinds of worldly lies. Christian, you are going to be preached to in America and in the world that being a servant is bad. And the Word of God proclaims to you to be a servant to God is a great gift and a blessing. It is what you were made for. And it is overwhelming joy that should come to know that you have been made a servant. What a blessing. That's the biblical truth. No matter what the world proclaims, that is the reality. And it is what compels Paul to do what he's called to do. Notice how Paul does it. Look again at verse 7. Of this gospel I was made a servant according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. He's reemphasizing what's already true in what he said. This is a gift. It's from God. It's not his. This was grace. It was unmerited favor. He was made a servant. This was done to him. He didn't make himself this. And he says that this was done by God's power. It says Paul doesn't want any confusion to come about. Why did God do this? Why did God make him this? Why was this accomplished? Because of God's power. Because God's grace to him and God's power. Paul's ministry is a gift to him and he sees it as such. And Paul is empowered for ministry by God. It says that very thing. Colossians 1, 29. Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. What does Paul do? How does he view himself in ministry? A servant of God. He is a servant of God. He exists to do the will of God. And how does he do the will of God? With the empowerment of God. He does all that he has commanded, and how does he have the strength and energy to do all as he has commanded? He who commands is also him who enables. The God who commands him is the God that empowers him to accomplish what he has commanded. Christian, that should bring you great hope. Do you ever hear the commands of God and think, I can't do that? If your name was Lauren Dietrich and you heard the command, wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord, I would assume often you go, God, you don't know who my husband is. Have you seen him? You can't see him. His face is covered with hair. He's a beast, not a man. How can I submit to him? How does Lauren Dietrich wake up every morning and submit to the beast as the beauty? Not by her own strength. She doesn't try to convince herself that I'm something that I'm not. What ought she to do? I'm not just preaching to my own wife. Many of you are married to beasts. God has commanded it. He will enable it. Men, how do you get up day after day and provide for your family? How do you work when your body doesn't want to work? How do you endure? How do you go on? Parents, how do you discipline and instruct your children when it seems so difficult? When they don't listen and they don't respond? You're not getting the desired results you want. Remember, you're not listening to the results. You're listening to the commander, to the master as a servant. And you live to do his will. And so if he says, discipline and instruct. If he says, submit. If he says, love her. If he says, provide for the needs of your household. And he says so much more to us. We don't say, I can't. We might say, as we often sing, not I, yet Christ through me. 
like Paul, he toils and struggles. And how does he do so? With all God's energy. Because it is God's energy that powerfully works within him. Because this is not Paul's doing. God made him. God called him. God orchestrated all of this. And God empowers it. And so how do you go on and be a minister like Paul through difficult things? And remember, the illustrations I gave, many of those aren't, we're not even talking about the point of Christian ministry yet. I'm just talking about normal life. I'm just talking about normal like husbandry and wifely, parenting, working. That's just normal life. That's just things that the world finds motivation to do somehow without Christ. And we struggle to do, and we think we just need Christ's power within us to do this. It's going to get better. Let's look. Paul's perspective of ministry. Verse 8. Look at verse 8. Paul's perspective of ministry. He says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints... This grace was given. Remember, Paul says he was made a minister. It was according to God's gift and God's grace, and it is accomplished by God's power. And then it's like Paul, it's like he can't keep going without stumbling over his joy that this has happened. He says, I was made a minister according to the gift and the grace of God through his power works within me. To me, to me, the least of all the saints. As Paul has to stop to preface again. This is to me, Paul. And then how does he describe himself? The least of all the saints. The least. What is the least? It's, it's the lowest, right? <laughs> My planned illustration was to make a joke about like if you had a ribeye and then you have vegetables and all of these things. How the ribeye is the best and over here in the vegetables is the least. And it would be totally lost on some of you. So I'm going to stop. The least, the least is the less desirable, right? When your plate pulls up, maybe you're not as food motivated as many people. When your plate pulls up, you're thinking, what's the best and what's the least? And you have a strategy, I'm going to eat the least first so I can enjoy the best for last. Or I'm going to eat the best first and then work my way through the least. You you have a strategy. When you're given work, when you get to work and you have things to accomplish, you have all this work and there's the work you would least like to do and there's the work you really enjoy, right? As a mom, there are actions that are the least of these actions and that are the best, the things you want all the time. How do you approach that? That's, That's what Paul's stating. He's saying, of all of these, I'm the least, right? What are all of these? The least of the saints. So Paul's statement is, of everyone who has been called and made holy by God, I, Paul, am the least. And you might hear this and think, ah, Paul's just saying he's like the worst of the best, right? Like if you're the least of Major League Baseball players, (laughs) you're way better than I am, right? You, you might be a small fish in a small pond, but you come back to the big pond and you're a pretty big fish. If you go to the gym, well, no, a lot of people go to the gym. In whatever you're doing and, and accomplishing, if it's specialized and you're the least of it, that's still kind of good, right? Like if Daniel is the least of PAs, which he's not, but let's say he was. If he's the least of PAs, if your child got injured 
and you have Daniel's phone number and my phone number, who should you call? Daniel, because he's still a PA. He'll know what to do. I'll just go, is it bleeding a lot? Is he awake? He's probably fine. I don't know. Daniel has more to work with. Even if he was the least, he's not the worst. But Paul doesn't mean he's not the worst. See, Paul clarifies in later letters, I'm not saying I'm the least of the best. I'm saying I'm the worst of the worst. In 1 Timothy, Paul describes himself. He says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of who I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who believe in him for eternal life. See, Paul doesn't say, I'm the least of the best. He says, I'm the worst of the worst. Paul says, when it comes to sinners, I'm the foremost. When it comes to the worst of the world, I am the worst. And when it comes to the best of the world, I am the least. What is Paul proclaiming? Humility. Paul is well aware of how he stands before God. When Paul sees a vision of God, whatever category he's in, he's at the bottom of it. He's the worst of it. Because Paul, aware of his own sin, cannot stand before God and think, at least I'm better than some people. As he sees God, he is like Isaiah, and his cry is, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And then second in his mind is everybody else. I live among a people of unclean lips. Usually, we flip that thinking. We go, at least I am not like them. Right? At least I'm not the worst. It's the conclusion so many of us come to. And how do we come to that conclusion? Because we are trying to match ourselves up to God. We're trying to work it out. As people, we try to go, look, I know I'm not the best, but I'm not the least. I'm pretty good. I think I land in the middle. If God's going to judge mankind, I'm kind of right there, right? How can Paul, a man of God, a prophet, an apostle, a servant of God, how can he say he's the least of the saints? How can he say he's the worst of sinners? Do you know how? Because Paul is not seeking opportunity for advancement. He has been advanced by God's grace. He has been made a minister. And so he does not try to hide the reality he knows of himself. He is more than willing to look at his own life and say, I am the least of the saints. When it came to sinners, I was the foremost. I was the worst of sinners. And he does not say this to brag. Christian, some of us are willing to embrace that we are the least and the worst. And all we want to talk about is how we're the least and the worst. Paul talks about this three times. Once he says he is the least of the apostles. He says he is the least of the saints. And he says he is the foremost of sinners. When Paul writes a letter and he talks about his ministry, he doesn't spend all his time talking about how inefficient he is. He proclaims the truth of it. But notice what he is the least of. Me, being the least of the saints. The least of those who have been made holy by God. Me being previously the foremost of sinners. Before, I was the worst of sinners. And what does Paul immediately come back with that? 
But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who believe in him for eternal life. What is God doing here? Paul was the foremost of sinners. Why? So that God could parade Paul's sin before the church and everyone could feel better about themselves? No. So that God would parade Paul through all society and Paul who was so zealous and self-righteous that he longed to kill other people to prove he was righteous to God would die for those people now. He would give everything for them. He was not Paul who remained the foremost of sinners. He was the least of the saints. He was called to be holy before God. And with all his energy, he, he strove to do so. Why? Because he's not trying to prove anything to God. God is proving something through him. God, the power of God works within Paul, not Paul. Paul can fully embrace humility and say, I'm the least of the saints. I'm the foremost, I was the foremost of sinners. Because Paul's ministry is about the service of Christ. It is about proclaiming Christ. He does not spend his ministry to proclaim how bad he was or how bad he is. He is aware of it in humility and he lives to show how good God is. And Christian, like Paul, you don't have to do that by remaining the least and the worst. You have to do that by recognizing you've been called as a saint. You might be the least of the saints, but you're a saint. You are called holy by the God who created all things. Not because who you are, not because what you've done, because how good he is, how gracious he is. He has made you a servant to do his will. You no longer have to live in sin and mire. You no, have, no longer have to be the least. You no longer have to live as the foremost of sinners. And that does not have to make you self-righteous. It makes you forever aware of the grace and the gift of God. It is because of Paul's humility that he can say, I am a servant and this is good and this is grace and I take great joy in it. Paul was made a servant he was qualified by the Father. It's exactly what he prays for the Colossians. If you go and read Colossians 1, 9 through 14, at the end of that he says he gives thanks to the Father who has qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints, that they too are saints. He already said in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were once lost in sin, once dead in sin. But remember, Ephesians 2 in that section ends with 10. It doesn't end with you were dead in sin. It works to say that you who were dead in sin have been made alive in Christ. And then in verse 10 it says, For we are his workmanship. We are his work done by his power. We are created in Christ Jesus for what? Not to be the least. Not to be the foremost of sinners. To be those who do good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As he said in chapter 1 already that we were called to be blameless and holy before him. To be the least of the saints is humility. But it does not change the fact that you are a saint. You have been called by him. If you come to church next week and you say, I'm a saint. I'm the best of Christians. I'm holy. I'm, I can conquer all things because Jesus loved me. If Jesus loved me, everybody else must be a fool. They don't love me. No, 
That's not what being a saint is. It's being overwhelmed that God has loved you. Overwhelmed by God's grace. Overwhelmed that he would give you a gift to even let you be a servant in his household. Overwhelmed that you've been called a saint, that the inheritance is awaiting you. That you've been recreated in Christ. Though you were once created in Christ, you rebelled. And now being recreated in Christ, you are a new creation to serve him. Just like Paul. See, Paul had a ministry. And last week we talked about that very specific ministry. But we can share in that perspective because we all have been given a ministry. We all are made servants of Christ. We are all called to serve Him. Each one has been given a gift. I want to encourage you, not by my words, because you might hear my words and say, well, this guy's a pastor. He just wants to build his organization. No. Mm -mm. I I might struggle with all of the struggles of every man in leadership. But what I I toil and struggle for is to not let this be my kingdom. As elders, it's not our oligarchy. We're not looking to rule people. We believe that the word of God proclaims the truth. And we are willing to take the responsibility of carrying that truth. But the truth proclaims that each of you have received a gift. Look at 1 Peter 4, verse 10. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So just as Paul is a steward, gifted by the grace of God to serve the body, you too are a steward of God's grace. You too have been given a gift. Look at the language. It's very specific. Each has received. As each received. Each means everyone. Each person. Each saint. Each Christian has received what? has received a gift from God. And what are they to do with that gift? They are to serve one another. Why? Because they are to be a steward of God's varied grace. Just as Paul was a steward of the grace God gave him, you are a steward of the grace God has given you. Just as Paul was made a servant, not by his own will, but by the grace and the gift of God, you, if your hope is in Christ, have been made a servant, not by your own will, but by the good and the grace of God. And what do you do? Well, I love 1 Peter because I think it clarifies it very clearly and succinctly. As you live in the body, you are going to find yourself involved in a few activities. And you could categorize all of those things in speaking and doing, right? This is a normal categorizing of things in the Bible. In word and deed. In talk and action. We do the same thing. We talk about talk is cheap. If you just talk, it's cheap. Everybody can talk. Everybody can run their mouth. What are you going to do? There's another side to this, right? I do, I do, I do, but you never tell me you love me. Just doing is cheap. I don't know why you're doing it. You have to communicate it. You can't just do, you can't just talk. Word and deed. And in grace, here we see that each has been given a gift, and the emphasis is not on our individual gifts. This is often what we do. We go, well, what is my gift? I have to find the singular way that I serve God. What is it? I'm confused. I, I need someone to tell me what it is I'm supposed to do. I love First Peter. It's so clear. Do you know what you do? In all of your words and all of your actions, you glorify God in serving his body. Look at First Peter 4. Each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God in speaking you will speak to the body. Right? 
You should. Sunday morning, we don't gather just to hear me speak. When I speak, we're gathering to focus around the Word of God, but that's not all we're here to do. That is the primary of our gathering. We want to hear what the Word of God says. But if you come and you hear me talk and you leave, you're ignoring this command. Each has been given a gift to serve the body. You haven't been given the gift of salvation to come and to to leech off my study. You've been given a gift to come and to be encouraged and to be fed in all the ways we, we communicate it. But you've also come to serve the body, to speak. You should speak to one another. And when you do, how should you do so? Is the oracles of God. This is commanded in Colossians 3, 16 and 17. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Who is you? The church. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So you should speak to one another. And your speaking to others is not dependent on your great wisdom, your great knowledge. It is dependent on the truth of God. You should speak to be wise in the things of God. Just like Paul is going to pray for the Ephesians, that they would understand the depths so that when they speak, how do they speak? The truth of God to one another. But he doesn't stop with speaking. He says, whoever speaks, let them speak the oracles of God. And whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. You are not just here to talk to one another. You don't just come to gather to discuss with one another. We live in a society that loves talking right? We are much like the Greeks. We long to always hear new things. We don't long to do much. We don't long to accomplish much. We want to experience a lot, right? We want to take pictures of us doing all kinds of crazy things that the world has never been able to do. But we don't want to actually do too much. We don't want to be responsible for too much. We don't want to serve. We don't want to submit our will to the will of another. We want to experience, we want to be out there, we want to get in all the action, but we don't want to give up anything for the sake of others. Here's what's commanded. Let each of you, when you serve, serve by the strength that God supplies. What do you do when your will says, I want to travel the world as an adventurer and get paid by my friends on Instagram? I, don't, I, I, want, I want my service to beat the world to be that everyone gets to see my life and goes, wow, their life is amazing. My life sucks. That's not a gift. That's weird. Do you want to be served or serve? Often you probably just want to be served. Your will is, I just want people to serve me, right? We know because when we come to church, often our aspect is, you know who really needs to hear this message? The people who aren't serving you, you're thinking, yeah, ah, I wish they'd start serving. But do you know what it says here? Each has been given a gift, and each is to serve. And when they serve, how do you do it? How do you do it when you're so self-obsessed and your will is so much your own will, you don't know what to do? Same thing Paul said. You are a servant, and he empowers your service. So you listen to what he says, and you do it, and you trust that he empowers. Go. You could go online and just search. Um, I'll send it to you. Daniel Nunez will send it to you. I'll just delegate. I'll send it to you. I'm not going to delegate to him. That's mean. This week in the email, Patty will send to you a list of, I don't do that anymore. I'll send Patty, which she will send to you, a list of the one another's. Scripture commands so many ways that we must serve one another. They're in there. I'm not going to list them all for you now. But find them and seek them and say, okay, if this is his will, how does my will get in the way of this? 
I want to do his will. And so I'm going to serve his will. All of the one another's, that's your homework for the week. If you hear this and you think, I do want to serve Christ, find the one another's. They'll come out an email around Wednesday. You don't have to wait till then. They're in the Bible right now. Find them. This is his will. I want to put my will aside and do his will. And as I do that, though I long for my will and desire my will, I will serve by the strength that God supplies. And why do you do this? Why do you work so hard to know the truth so you can speak it? Why do you toil and struggle with all your energy like Paul to put your will to death and his will? Not so you can be accepted in a community. Not so when you talk to friends you can go, you know, I just try to do my best every day. I try to do good things. Not so you can find somewhere you can belong. Not because you believe in plurality and that God needs every individual and your life experience brings something to the table. All of those might be true reasons you do it, but none of those are the motivation Peter gives. He says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Christian, if you love Christ, if this morning you hear you are to be a servant of Christ and your heart does not cringe but rejoices, rejoice in speaking and serving his will. Why? In order that in everything, not just on Sunday morning when the truth is clear to you in your mind, not just during your devotional, not just after you've had time to pray, but in your weakest of moments that in everything would be to the glory of God. The Christian life is not about remaining dependent on others. It is about dependently growing to maturity in Christ. The Christian life is about serving God in such a way that you are more and more empowered to serve Him for His glory until the day you die and live forever in His glory. Paul did not write the Ephesians to satisfy his own desires. He wrote the letter from prison. He did not write to the Ephesians because he thought he might get promoted. Paul was going to die. He did not serve God so that he could be praised on earth. He suffered on earth to serve God because he saw God's glory as more important than anything on earth. He will rejoice to be a servant of a God so high. And Paul proclaims that in his pleasure in ministry. Look at verse, the end of verse 8 and the beginning of verse 9. He says, To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring light to everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. He rejoices in the creator of all things. He longs to live his life to make known what God has chosen to make known now. He longs to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. There is no insufficiency in Christ. Christ will empower all things for the purpose of his righteousness and glory. And Paul is overjoyed to serve him in that and to bring to light for everyone what God has revealed. Is that your pleasure in ministry? You take great pleasure in making known what God has chosen to make known to man? My heart does not always. As I heard these women seeking to evangelize the lost yesterday, I thought, I'm in Starbucks drinking my coffee and working on my PowerPoint and unconcerned about anyone around me. Am I taking pleasure in my PowerPoint? And I, and I remind myself, I, I need to do this. This is for the sake of our church. 
But I should take great joy as those women were prepared to share. I should be prepared to share for the glory of Christ. I should be joyful. I should not cringe at it. Do you ever cringe at it? I do. But I don't have to. No matter my will, I can pursue to live his will. And he will empower. I'm thankful by people that don't cringe at it. I'm thankful of a reminder of a man recently that as I sat with him at work, he is working our conversation to get to the gospel. He is ready. He's asking me every question he can to get to Jesus. Oh, if we all would live in such a way to serve one another, to love one another, and to live as though it is our pleasure, not our requirement of a sales pitch, but our pleasure to proclaim Christ to the world. Let us pray that he would have such grace to do so. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is good and faithful. We thank you that we can trust you in all things. I thank you, Father, as, as our hearts are stirred by the truth of what you promise. I think you have left us not to discover the world on our own, not to get into our own journey that we might find the truth, but that you in grace have worked in truth from creation. Thank you for Paul and the ministry of Paul. Thank you for the reminder of communion, that it is by the blood and the body of your son. And I pray you would give us wisdom as we examine ourselves in preparing to take pleasure in what you have done for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.